Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. U.S. Representative Seth Magaziner went from being Rhode Island's junior congressman to our senior and only congressman in just a few months. He joins us in the studio to talk about his first term in office, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and the race to replace former Congressman David Cicilline. Our conversation after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. I'm here with Congressman Seth Magaziner. Thanks for joining us. Great to be back. So how does it feel to be the senior congressman from the great state of Rhode Island? Are you a grizzled veteran already? Yeah, senior and junior and best and worst. No, I. it's an honor to represent the state, and I very much miss having David Cicilline in Congress. Uh, he was like, not only a very effective uh, member of Congress, but also a, a good mentor to me. But I, I do feel that responsibility representing our state now to make sure that that I'm an effective advocate for Rhode Island and that I work hard with Senator Reid and Senator Whitehouse to bring resources back to the state. So, you know, when David announced that he was going to be stepping down, I just pulled my team together and said, it's time for us to step up. And, uh, you know, we're working very hard to do that. Yeah. Were you surprised when I, it was uh, he announced he was going to step down June 1st to become president and CEO of the Rhode Island Foundation? I, I was surprised, you know, like most Rhode Islanders. But I understand uh, why he took the job at the Rhode Island Foundation, and I understand why they wanted him. I think he'll do a terrific job and make a great impact, uh, as he has at every other stage in his career. Do you wish you had stayed put in CD1 since that seat opened up right soon after you moved to uh, the 2nd Congressional District? No, not at all. I, I love representing uh, the 2nd Congressional District. And I think we did a very important thing keeping the district in Democratic hands uh, at a time when a lot of people didn't think it could be done. You know, I, I felt very strongly that the Republicans in Washington have gotten too extreme. We've seen that bear out under Speaker McCarthy, where the most extreme radical wing of the Republican caucus is calling the shots. And I just felt and still feel that in that environment, 
we couldn't let the seat go uh, into Republican hands. We needed a representative from CD2 that reflected Rhode Island values and Rhode Island priorities. So zero regrets about running in, in CD2 and very glad that we were successful and, and very glad to be doing the job. So we're getting into the teeth of the campaign season. Who are you supporting in the first congressional district race to replace Cicilline? Well, in the Democratic primary, I'm staying neutral because I want to have a strong working relationship with whoever emerges. I'll support the Democratic nominee, of course. But, you know, the Rhode Island congressional delegation for decades now has really operated as a team. And that is one of the reasons why Rhode Island has been so effective in bringing federal resources back to the state. Almost every year over the last 20 years, Rhode Island has brought back more money from the federal government per capita for projects on infrastructure and the environment and economic development. We've brought back more money per capita than we paid in in federal taxes because we've had a congressional delegation that has worked so well together. And I want to continue that positive working relationship. So for that reason, I am staying neutral in the primary. I'm glad that we have so many good Democratic candidates running, and I would be excited to serve with them. But I'm going to stay out of this until the primary is over. There's been a lot of headlines recently about the controversy over Lieutenant Governor Matos's nomination signatures. What do you think? Was she the victim or does this reflect on her ability to serve in Congress? Well, it's very important that all elected officials and all campaigns be held to high ethical standards. Uh, clearly, uh, someone broke the law in this situation and there needs to be accountability. That being said, I've known Sabina Matos for a long time, uh, the lieutenant governor. I've always known her to be an ethical and honest elected official. So when she says that she was not aware of what these volunteers on her campaign were doing, I give her the benefit of the doubt and I, I believe her. But obviously, there are investigations underway that need to run their course, and there should be accountability for anyone who did something that was wrong. What advice would you give to whoever wins that first congressional district seat? There are 435 members of the House, and so no one gets anything done by themselves. The only way you get anything done is by forming relationships and building a rapport. We've had some success already. I'm, I'm you know, excited by the fact that even though I've only been there seven months, we've already gotten some legislation passed through the House. We've already made some progress in bringing back uh, funding, grant funding to Rhode Island. And it's on the strength of the advice I got from members of Congress who have been there before me, which is to invest a lot of time early on in building relationships. Yeah, on July 14th, you issued a news release saying you had passed your first legislation through the House with three provisions in the defense bill. But the release didn't mention that you voted against the National Defense Authorization Act. Why did you vote no? Well, the defense bill has historically been a bipartisan bill. Securing our nation, supporting men and women in uniform, supporting veterans, this should be bipartisan stuff. And it has been for the last 60 years. Unfortunately, this year, for the first time in decades, the Republicans running the House of Representatives decided to make it a partisan bill by injecting some really extreme partisan language into the bill, in particular language to make it nearly impossible for many women in military service to get access to abortion. Because they put those extreme provisions into the bill, uh, I wasn't able to support it. Are we heading for a clash between the House and Senate over the act? I mean, could there be a stalemate? My hope and my expectation is that the final version that is reconciled between the House and the Senate will not include that extreme anti-abortion language. You know, the reality is that Democrats still control the Senate. Democrats still control the White House. Democrats are fighting for access to abortion for women in the House. And the vast majority of Americans support access to abortion. 
And frankly, to deny women in the service access to health care is just wrong. And uh, so my expectation and my hope is that that language will not be included in the final version. And we can go back to having a bipartisan annual defense uh, authorization uh, that I and all of my colleagues on both sides of the aisle can support. As you note, I'm also very excited that we were able to get a few of my amendments uh, included in the defense bill. Yeah, tell us um, what they did. Yeah, so a few things. One is to improve the health insurance um, experience for members of the service and veterans. Uh, this was in response to a piece of feedback I got from a constituent here in Rhode Island who said that they had gone online to find out if their doctor, their provider, was covered by the military's insurance program. The website indicated that that doctor was. It turned out not to be the case because the website hadn't been updated in a long time. And if you think about that on a national level, service members could be facing significant out-of-pocket expenses by going to doctors that they think are in-network but actually are not. So we included a provision requiring the Department of Defense to update the website every month to make sure that the insurance information is accurate. We also pass uh, a provision in the defense bill to expand access to affordable housing for workers in the shipbuilding industry. As you know, in Rhode Island, we build submarines. We build nuclear submarines for the Navy at the Electric Boat facility in Quonset. And if you talk to the people at Electric Boat, they will tell you one of their biggest challenges, not just here in Rhode Island, but nationally, is they're recruiting workers, tradesmen and women, to go build submarines for the Navy, and they're having a hard time helping their employees find affordable housing. So those are some of the things that we were able to get into the defense authorization bill that I think can make a real difference if they make it through to final passage. Now, I see the National Republican Congressional Committee issued a statement accusing you of, quote, voting against pay raises for our troops and the safety of our country over taxpayer-funded late-term abortions and woke transgender ideology that's extreme and dangerous. What do you? How do you respond to that? Well, if they cared about the well-being of service members, they wouldn't put in extreme language trying to prevent women who are soldiers and sailors from being able to get access to abortion and other forms of health care. The fact of the matter is they were the ones, the Republicans in the House were the ones who made the defense bill a hyperpartisan bill by putting in this language that had never been in a defense bill before. In the last few months, I have received 28 emails from the National Republican Congressional Committee blasting you. I know you're facing a re-election campaign next year, but why do you think they're targeting you in particular? Well, I think that the Republican Party in Washington, unfortunately, has been captured by extremists. And they are pushing priorities that are wrong for Rhode Island and wrong for America, trying to do the bidding of Donald Trump. And they know that I am in Washington not to represent a extreme ideology, but to represent Rhode Islanders. And so, you know, I'm just going to stay focused on doing the work that I was elected to do, focused on protecting Social Security and Medicare, lowering costs, bringing back manufacturing jobs, the things that Rhode Islanders actually want to have prioritized by their members of Congress. You know, the Republicans can lob all the false attacks uh, that they want, but I think people are tired of the hyper-partisanship and will be just fine as long as we continue doing the work. And let me get your response to one of those emails. The NRCC said you issued a statement saying you support banning gas stoves, citing your vote against the Gas Stove Protection and Freedom Act. What do you say to that? Well, that is false. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I do think that the administration should have the leeway 
to regulate consumer safety in products, right? Now, that is something that we have had in this country for over a century. We have the FDA to make sure that the food at the supermarket is safe. We have uh, measures in place to make sure that washing machines are safe and that you know refrigerators aren't going to you know combust and catch on fire. And in the same way, I think it's appropriate that gas stoves be required to include the kinds of uh, technology that limit gas leaks. And that's what the administration has proposed. They have proposed standards for gas stoves that reduce gas leaks that can kill people, particularly children. They're not proposing banning gas stoves. I don't think anyone is. I think that the far-right outrage machine is trying to get people to believe something that is not true. So you knew going in that Democrats would be in the House minority. What's it been like? You know, it's been easier to get things done than I thought it would be, to be honest. In addition to the legislation that we got passed in conjunction with the defense bill, as as we discussed just a minute ago, I've also been able to get legislation passed to strengthen cybersecurity at airports, uh, which obviously is a very important issue. We've been able to get a number of requests for funding for projects across Rhode Island included in the House Appropriations Bill, which when you're a freshman in the minority is not an easy thing to do, but we've been able to get well over a dozen grants included in the appropriation bills to do things like improve sewer systems, provide funding to Rhode Island police departments and fire departments, to improve handicap accessibility at public schools. And so we've been able to get funding, we've been able to get legislation passed despite being a freshman in the minority. And I think that means two things. Number one, that I am working really hard to deliver on the priorities that I ran on, but also that even in an environment where the House leadership has been captured by extremists on the Republican side, Washington does still work enough that it is possible to get things done if you have the right priorities and you're willing to work hard. And that's what I'm doing. Your predecessor, Representative Jim Langevin, focused on cybersecurity. Will you also make that one of your top priorities? Yeah, that's one of the reasons that I requested to join the Homeland Security Committee. So every new member of Congress has an opportunity to join two committees. And you know, when you go to Congress in orientation, they ask you what your picks are. And I made Homeland Security one of my top choices, just like Jim Langevin served on the Homeland Security Committee for a number of years. We're certainly working on cybersecurity issues there. That's that's why I wrote that legislation uh, that just passed the House to strengthen cybersecurity at airports. What prompted that, but, by the way? You know, it was just sort of talking with experts in the field who saw that this was a vulnerability and also an opportunity. Just to be specific about what the legislation does, airports all across the country receive funding from the federal government for physical improvements every year to improve airport safety. We passed legislation that makes cybersecurity upgrades eligible for that funding. And so it's a common sense thing, a a bipartisan thing. It passed on a bipartisan basis. I'll just note on the Homeland Security Committee, we're working on other things too. One area that I'm very focused on is combating domestic extremism. Over the last five years, more Americans have been killed by domestic terrorists than by international terrorists. That's different from 10 or 20 years ago. Certainly on 9-11 and the years following 9-11, Foreign terrorist organizations were responsible for killing more Americans than domestic, but that's changed in the last few years. And you see particularly groups related by racism and anti-Semitism and anti-government ideology becoming more violent. That concerns me very much, and it's something that I'm focused on. 
One of your House colleagues, Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene, recently showed nude photos of Hunter Biden during a House Oversight Committee hearing featuring two IRS whistleblowers. What do you make of her decision to show an image like that at a congressional hearing? Well, everybody knows that Marjorie Taylor Greene is unhinged and not a serious legislator, promoting QAnon conspiracy theories, saying that there are Jewish space lasers, uh, and and now basically showing revenge porn in the middle of a, a House committee hearing. But what is more concerning to me is not her antics. It's the fact that Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, has elevated her to a position of leadership and has sung her praises. He appointed her to the Homeland Security Committee that I serve on, where we are trying to investigate violent extremist domestic terror groups that she is praising. You know, she has gone to the jail in Washington, D.C. to show support for the people who attacked the Capitol on January 6th. And Kevin McCarthy has put her on the Homeland Security Committee. He has also made her multiple times a sort of speaker pro tem where she's presiding over the House of Representatives. And so when I talk about how the leadership of the House Republicans has been captured by the most extreme elements of the Republican Party and the far right, that's a very good example of that. And uh, it's not acceptable and it's not sustainable. You know, I was scrolling through Twitter the other day and I saw some video of you doing push-ups at a parade. Can you mm. tell me what that was all about? Well, that was at the Ancient and Horribles 4th of July parade in uh, in Gloucester in Chapachet. And as anyone who has been to the Ancients and Horribles will tell you, uh, anything can happen. It's a uh, it's a rowdy parade, and uh, I was marching with Senator Reid, and uh, I think he ran some obstacles, and I did some push-ups, and uh, you know, it's all part of the fun. So, and I saw you recently spoke on the House floor about longtime Providence Journal sports columnist Bill Reynolds, who just died at age seventy-eight. What did you say about him? Well, I said that Bill Reynolds is an institution in Rhode Island that we all will remember for a long time to come. He was not only a great journalist and athlete, but I think a mentor to a lot of people. I've met people, not just journalists, but athletes and others who he took under his wing through the years, and he has left a tremendous legacy for Rhode Island. I think it's important that we honor those Rhode Islanders who make a real mark, and he was certainly one of them. Congressman Magaziner, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. And if you like the podcast, do us a favor. Follow the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.